Denise and I have enjoyed being with you here this week. We've been able to look at the Psalms together from Sunday morning through today. Uh, felt led to go back to a text that I preached here a few years ago this morning, just a message for this time. It's been a joy to be a part of ENC across uh, this year as president-elect, which ended this past uh, Saturday, and now it's a joy to be watching the leadership of Dr. Worcester as he guides the university forward. Denise and I have had a blast being here with you, and she said on behalf of her, be sure and tell you how much we deeply love you and appreciate you. One thing I wanted to say to students, uh, you've watched your school decline in enrollment, decline in financial strength, decline over the last few years. This year, you're a part of a college that is now turning upward, and enrollment uh, prospects are up, and we're doing good financially, some good things are happening. But I've got a challenge to the students that are here. As a, as a student body, you can do something for your college that I can't do, that I can't find enough donors to do, that your administration cannot do. There is not a problem or a program that is challenged here that 200 more students won't make the difference. You're headed on to Easter. If all of you go home and bring a friend back for next, semester, for next fall, uh, when you come back, if all of you go home and recruit, if even half of you are successful in doing that, you will set your school on a new trajectory. Another 200 students at Eastern Nazarene College next fall makes a massive difference in everything that happens here. So I'm here saying to you as students, we usually don't ask this of you, we'll hire five recruiters to go out. I think 500 might could beat what five could do. So I'm here saying and appealing to you as students, if you're having a great experience here and you have friends back home, Go tell them about it, and over the Easter break, recruit them, bring their name and information back, give it to the admissions office, and help land those students next year. And it makes a massive difference. We're projecting at the path we're going now, it might take us five or six years to get that many students here again. You could make that happen in a period of about four months if you went home, did that, and did it well. So that's my challenge to you, okay? You up for it? Go do it. Into the Word. I remember my 43rd birthday like it was yesterday. Denise had been saying to me, this is going to be your best birthday that you have ever had. Well, it worried me a little bit because Denise is big on surprises. So I started watching the checkbook and the credit card and all this thing, wondering, what is this woman up to? But no bank overdrafts and no credit card meltdowns or anything, and the day came. And we woke up that morning and she said, I want you to get ready for a casual day. I'm going to take the kids to school and I'll be back to pick you up in a while. About an hour or so later, she came back, came upstairs in the bedroom and blindfolded me. Took me by the hand, led me down the stairs, through the kitchen, out the garage door, into the garage. She hit the garage door opener button. I could hear the garage door coming up. And we stepped out into the sunlight of the driveway and she removed the blindfold. What I saw next was an apocalypse. Apocalypse. Have you used that word this week? Has anybody said that this week? It, it's this weird word that we reserve for things like 9-11, tsunami coming ashore, asteroid hurtling toward the earth to blow us all to smithereens, horrible terrorist attack, apocalypse. I mean, it's a word that we use for that. But that's not what that word means at all. The word apocalypse simply means to uncover 
or to reveal something like she did that day when she removed the blindfold from my eyes and I could see. Apocalypse. It's a word that is actually in the title of the last book of our Holy Scriptures. We call it the Revelation. Uh, But the real title of it is the Apocalypse of Jesus to John. And so a lot of people have been speculating for a long, long time what it is that's being uncovered or revealed in this last book of Holy Scriptures. A lot of people think they know. Some, some people think if, if you can figure the math of the book out, you can figure out the expiration day of the planet. This is when time ends and everything falls apart. Other people say you can figure out who the Antichrist is. Other people say you can figure out what 666, the mark of the beast, means. All different kinds of theories about what's there in the Revelation and what it means. I was looking at a website a few years ago, and they actually had Bible verses out of the book of Revelation with, uh, you know, all the verses there and the descriptions of who the Antichrist was, and then all the characteristics of the Antichrist. And at the end of the website, they declared that they had discovered and learned who the Antichrist was. They're finding at the end of the website buckle your seat belts i mean hold your neighbor's hand this is going to get really scary here barney the dinosaur (laughs) that's the kind of stupid things we have done with this last book of holy scripture that is meant to be a great gift to the people of god in times like this you see i actually think i know what's being revealed in this book and i think you do too it's in the title the apocalypse or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is being revealed to us in a very different way here in this book than he is in the other books of Scripture. It's almost as if somebody took a rake and went all the way over to Genesis and just put it down and raked all the way through Scripture and collected every title for divinity that there is in Scripture and then sort of dropped them all in the book of Revelation. It is full of Old Testament titles for God, New Testament titles for God, titles for the Holy Spirit, titles for Jesus, titles for Messiah. All kind of divinity titles are there. And so this book introduces us to Jesus in a very specific way, and we see it in the titles. If you want to turn to Revelation 1.1, uh, we'll start, I'm going to preach the whole book of Revelation today, if that's, if that's all right with you. And it begins, 1-1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then John begins to write, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, and here come the titles. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's the title I'm going to work on this morning. The one who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Here's the titles, they're just rolling. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, Goes on down in verse 8. I am the Alpha, there's another title. I am the Omega, says the Lord, who who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These titles just flow all the way through the book. Now, this this title, the one who, there, there it goes, thanks. The one who is and who was and who is to come. You know where that comes from, don't you? 
Remember in the Old Testament, Moses is standing in front of this bush that won't burn, and the voice is talking to him out of the bush and saying to him, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh that I said, let my people go. And Moses says, back to the voice in the bush, who do I say sent me? And God answers Moses and says, tell Pharaoh that the conjugation of the verb to be has sent you. That's the name that is given to him. The name Yahweh, the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, is the conjugation of the verb to be. Tell Pharaoh that was, is, and will be has sent you. Now, I grew up down in Mississippi and had to take Latin in the 9th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. I know how to conjugate a verb. I mean, I conjugated more verbs uh, than I, I can that I care to even remember. You conjugate a verb, you always do it, past, present, future. Was, is, will be. And something interesting happens to the name of God between that Old Testament text and the book of Revelation. Because back in the Moses day, it was the one who was and who is and who is to come or will be. But here, in Revelation, this is from the one who is with us currently present, right here in this very moment that we're in, and who was, who always has been with us, and who will be the one who is to come. This is the name, the title, that is given for this Jesus and the work that he does. The one who is, and who was, and who is to come. That's an interesting title. Now, it's not how you would describe Jesus. Alien plops down in Quincy next week, meets you out on the street somewhere and says, hey, I just arrived from a different planet, walking around a lot, been in a bookstore, saw a bunch of books that said Jesus on them. Uh, turned on this thing called music and heard a lot about Jesus. Walked past some buildings named Jesus. Who's this Jesus? I know what you would say. You, you, would, go, you would go the Mary and Joseph, uh, the baby, the born, the... Uh, Baptized by John in the Jordan River, the preached the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, persecuted by the Pharisees, crucified, dead, buried, uh, raised on the third day. I mean, that's the Jesus story that you would tell. The Jesus that John encounters here in the Revelation sounds quite different from that. Uh, we, we pick up this description here a little later in chapter 1. Because John, the one who's writing the Revelation... He has been imprisoned on an island called Patmos because he's been talking about this Jesus out there in the Roman Empire, and they're not liking it very much because this Jesus has titles that actually are competitive titles with the Roman emperor. And so they put the guy in exile, in prison out there. And John is on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day, and here's what happened to him. He said, I turned to see whose voice it was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, now have you ever seen Jesus like this? Listen to this description. I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. His head and hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining with full force. I mean, this, this is a different picture of Jesus. 
I mean, this Friday, we think about the Jesus who was stripped naked on a cross. And here he is wearing a white robe with a golden sash. We think on Friday about the Jesus who had spikes through his hands. And here is Jesus holding the stars in his hands. We, we think about Jesus, the one with the spikes through his feet. Now his feet look like burnished bronze as if they walked right out of a furnace. We think of Jesus on the cross as one who was barely able to whisper, I thirst. And now his voice sounds like ocean waves coming ashore. We think about Jesus on the cross, the one whose eyes are darkened in death. And now it says his eyes shone like the sun in, in full force. They, they blazed like fire. This is the picture of the Jesus that John encounters here on the island of Patmos on this day. And I love what happens to him there in verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand, the hand of blessing on me, and said to me, do not be afraid. For I am the first and the last. I am the was and I am the will be. I am the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I am the one who is with you right now, who has always been with you and who always will be with you. And then Jesus said, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and the grave. Now get up, John, and write about what you have seen. And so John begins to do that. In chapters 2 and 3, he writes seven letters to the seven churches that are back in the Roman Empire on the mainland. And some of them are doing good, some of them are not doing not so good. So he praises some of them, tells the others, you really need to wake up and, and get with it here. And then the heavens open in chapter 4 and 5, and there's a throne up in heaven, and there's one who's seated on the throne, and there's 24 elders around the throne singing praise, and the four living creatures are flying around. And, there is, and the one who sits on the throne is holding this scroll, and it has seven seals on it, and no one is found who can open the scrolls, open the seals that are on the scroll, and everyone is looking around for someone to do it and then enters this slaughtered lamb and everyone says the slaughtered lamb he is the one who can open the seals that are on the scroll and then we can see it and then in chapter six and seven the slaughtered lamb begins to open the seals that are on the scroll and the first four the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they ride out into the world and fill the world with violence and death and disease and economic disaster and all kind of bad stuff that's there and then after that chapters eight nine ten and eleven seven trumpets are blown and with the blowing of each trumpet there's fractional destruction of the earth part of the water is affected part of the trees are affected part of the land is affected which kind of says that evil though it can do some really bad damage never can finish what it starts it always has fractional power and can never fully and completely destroy then we come to the christmas story in the book of revelation which is chapter 12 and in chapter 12 we have this woman she's pregnant with a baby some people say it's mary with the baby jesus other people say it's it's the birth of the church that's happening i'm not sure you can pick whichever one you want but there's this woman uh, she's about to bear this child and there's this big red dragon and the big red dragon wants to gobble up the baby as soon as it's born so the the woman is about to give birth to the baby the big red dragon is waiting right there just you know ready to chomp down and all of a sudden michael the archangel of god swoops down from heaven picks the whole scene up takes it up in heaven you got a boxing ring up in heaven in one corner there's the big red dragon boo and the other in the other corner there's michael the archangel of god yay we're cheering for him and they meet in the middle and michael the archangel of god body slams the big red dragon all the way down down to earth and he is ticked now he is ticked he goes 
goes after the woman, she bears the child, and a river separates them, and the woman and the child get away, and the big red dragon is just really not doing well at all at this point. So if you have a crash at your home during Christmas time, and there's not a big red dragon in it, you really would need to put one in there to be biblical. And then in the next two chapters, chapters 13 and 14, you, you find the two beasts. There's the big bad beast that comes out of the sea. He is the chaos beast, the monster beast. We talked about him a little bit on Sunday morning. And then there's another beast. He's kind of like the little beast. He's the PR beast. He's the beast that goes around saying, oh, he's the big bad beast. You better be careful. He'll mark you with 666. So you got the big bad beast and the PR beast, and they're all running around doing the stuff they do. Then in chapters 15 and 16, there are seven bowls of wrath that are poured out. And again, there's fractional destruction of the earth. Part of this, part of that is affected in all these ways. Bowls of wrath, they're bad things. Then my favorite chapters in Revelation, chapter 17, 18, 19, there's this prostitute. Her name used to be Egypt when Pharaoh held the people of God in slavery. Then it was Babylon when the, when the Babylonians held the people of God in slavery. Now it's the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire persecuting the people of God. So you've, you've had these prostitutes down through time. And there's this prostitute and she's dressed in finery and she's drunk from drink, drinking the blood of the saints that are persecuted. And she's riding on the back of a big bad beast, the one out of the, the chaos beast out of the sea. Not the little beast running around saying that, but the big bad beast. So she's riding on the back of the big bad beast and she has in her hands a little black book and in her little black book are the names of all her clients this is this these are the uh, clients of the prostitute these are the kings of the earth and the power barons and the sea merchants and everyone who have all put their hope and trust in the prostitute which is the roman empire they bet everything they have that this is what's powerful this is what works in the world and so they're you know they are her clients and so the prostitute on the back of the big bad beast runs head on into the lamb slaughtered lamb that we saw all the way back in chapter four the one who is able to open the seals on the scroll that the one who's seated on the throne that's being praised by the 24 elders and the four living creatures that lamb and that lamb runs head on into this battle. And the prostitute and the lamb have a battle. And the lamb is victorious. And the prostitute goes down. And then the beast turns and gobbles her up because she can't turn tricks anymore. I mean, she's defeated. She's gone. And then all the people in the, in the little black book, all the kings and the merchants and the people over here who put their trust in her, she's gone. They're going, oh, no, what are we going to do now? We put all our trust in her. It's really bad. But about the time they're weeping and wailing and all this stuff, we start hearing this music. And there are these people that are wearing white. And they, this is the supper of the lamb and the, these are the people who are pure and they're gathered together and they're singing praise to the lamb who has given them the victory then in chapter 20 you get the final battle in seven consecutive scenes and the lamb rides on the back of the white horse and the victory is theirs and then we come all the way to chapter 21 i told you we were going to do the whole book of revelation this morning and in chapter 21 we hear the one who spoke all the way back in chapter 20 or in chapter one we hear him again Chapter 21 goes like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be His peoples. And God Himself will be with them, and He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for these things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And He also said, write this, because these words are trustworthy and true. And then He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha 
and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. He comes there at the end again and says, remember, I started it all, I will be there at the end. I am behind you in the past, I am in front of you in the future. When people ask me the most important spiritual thing that I've learned across the last years of my walk with God, it's simply this. I used to try to live getting into tomorrow faithful to the Jesus who's back here and the theology that's back here and the doctrines of the church that are back here and the understandings of the saints that are back here. So I'm trying to look back and make sure I've got my clues right and then go. It's hard to go forward when you're always looking backward. And if the revelation does anything, it locates God there as well as there. Now, I should have seen this in understanding Scripture because when you start reading Scripture with this lens on, you see God has always been standing in the next future moment creating that for us. Uh, The story of creation in Genesis 1. There was this formless void and the darkness covered the deep and all of this. And it's not like God was behind that somehow sort of trying to push creation into existence. It's like it was there and God went around on the future side of it and spoke into it and called it into existence. Light be, earth be, dry land be, birds be, bees be. He calls that into existence. You, go, you come to the Abram story. It's not like God is behind Abraham pushing him to do something. He gets in front of Abram and says to him, Abram, I want you to leave the land of your father and I want you to come with me because I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all the tribes of the world. He gets in front of Moses in that bush and says, Moses, let's go. Enough of this tending sheep here in Midian. We're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Uh, The Virgin Mary. Read that story sometime in Luke with these tense eyes on. It's not like God's been in Mary's dreams. The angel shows up in the bedroom of a junior high kid and says, Mary, the Holy One would like permission that your womb would become the first temple for the Messiah, the Son of God who will save the world. And Mary's response is futuristic. May it be to me, even as you have said. Jesus comes. Peter, James, John in the fishing boat. Hey guys, he's in front of them. He's in their future. Come with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. A guy named Saul, whose name gets turned into Paul, Jesus gets in front of him on the the road to Damascus and says to him, Saul, enough of this persecuting the church. You're going to be my disciple to the Gentiles. And, And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Let's go. This God of ours always stands in the next moment creating it. Bringing us into it, inviting us to step into it. He's not buried somewhere way back there down in our past. He's out here in our very next moment. If I didn't understand it through reading the scripture, I should have understood it by the way that we taught our girls to walk. You know how you teach kids to walk. You know, I know what your parents did. I mean, they filled the room with all kind of wires across the floor and sharp objects that you could fall on. And, you know, they got back here and they just put their hands squarely on your diaper and said, walk, kid. <laughs> yeah. You know what you do. You clear the room. You clear the room. 
and you go back over here and you prop that child up on something solid, something firm, something they can hold on to that won't move. Just like we have been propped up on the ancient word of God, the doctrines of the church, the faith of the saints that has been delivered to us. We can hold on to something very solid that is behind us in our past. And then you go over across the room and you get down over here and your eyes meet their eyes and that child who knows you you open your arms to that child and you say come and that child begins to walk into your arms and walks because the one who is there in their future beckoning them to come is one that they know and love and trust this is the gift of the book of revelation that Jesus stands in our next moment with his arms wide open saying to us, come. I love, I love how the book of Revelation ends here in chapter 22. I mean, this is powerful. It's almost like Jesus says, if, if you haven't gotten it yet, listen one more time. Chapter 12 of verse 22, right at the end. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay everyone according to everyone's work. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. It goes on, verse 16, it's like, in case you still don't get it. He says, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. And then he says this, I am the root and descendant of David. You can't get any more was than that. You can't get any more rooted in the past of Old Testament history than that. Jesus says, I am the root and descendant of David. And then he says, and I am the bright morning star. The first thing you see tomorrow when you wake up. And therefore, the spirit and the bride who stand in our future say to us, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. And take the water of life as a gift. Amen, says the church. Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. What a gift this is to us. You see, the reality is some of you are graduating in just a little while. A few more weeks. Ooh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Jesus is standing right in the middle of all that saying, don't be afraid come as a college the challenges are in front of us what are we going to do jesus is standing right here in that future saying do not be afraid come this jesus stands in every future moment that we face inviting us to step into it without fear she blindfolded me led me down the stairs through the kitchen out into the garage hit the garage door opener, we stepped out in the driveway, she removed the blindfold, and what I saw next was an apocalypse. There in the driveway was a brand new bright red convertible Mustang. Borrowed for the day. <laughs> from one of the car dealers in the church. Sitting in the back seat were our dear friends, Paul and Tess, and they were wearing really cool shades, and music was blaring on the radio, music the way God intended it for it to be, the Beach Boys. And, <laughs> and that day, that birthday, 
we drove the lake shores and the downtowns and we ate at our favorite places. We sang the songs of our youth uh, like a bunch of fool teenagers. We had a blast. Pulled into a restaurant that night and about 20 other friends joined us and did a big roast. We laughed until our heads hurt. And I remember that night as we were headed home and the hair, our hair was blowing in the convertible and I actually had some then. And, so, <laughs> and we were headed home and I remembered what Denise had said. This is going to be your best birthday ever. You'll never forget this. I should have known that would be true. Because the one who had stood in the future preparing that day for me loves me. When you think about your future, when you think about your future, I want you to locate Jesus standing right in the middle of it with his arms wide open to you, saying to you, whatever you're facing, do not be afraid. Come. I am with you because I am the one who is with you right now, who has always been with you, and who always will be with you. And our best response to that is, Lord, I come. I come. Gospel choir is going to come back. And they're going to lead us in a praise of this God. And even as they're making their way up here now, I want you to look in your mind's eye at the thing that most frightens you about tomorrow. And I want you to plant Jesus standing right in the middle of that with his arms wide open to you. And he knows your name. And he's calling you by name. And he is saying to you, child, do not be afraid. Just come. This is a great God. Let's worship together. I know we are a few minutes over, but right now... Um, I just want us to do something that I think is the most important thing that we could do right now as a community. And so I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Worcester and Jeff Kirksey and Larry Bollinger to come forward. If you don't know these three men, I know that this is their prayer. All I want is for God to be glorified for him to be lifted high. And these are the three men who are going to lead us into the future of ENC. And they need our prayers. So guys, would you just come right here, all three of you? And I'm gonna ask the ENC community, I'm gonna ask you to come and surround them. We're gonna pray for them today. Would you come now? and surround them, and lay your hands on them. This is the most important thing we can do, ENC. in their space up here if you want to come on this side.
Come in, the ENC. Come on in. God, we believe. We believe in the words that our friend Dan Boone has just spoken to us. That you have been the God behind us. That you are the God with us today. You are the God out in front of us, calling us to you, calling us into your presence, calling us into the being, the thing that you want ENC to become. God, you are not just with us as an institution. You have been behind each one of us in our own story, in our own lives. God, you have been behind us. You have been with us today, God. You have been with us. You have been present with us. And God, we know whatever it is that lies out in front of us personally, whatever lies out in front of us as an institution, you are there like a father. You are kneeling and you are looking at us in the eye and you are calling us to yourself. So God, we pray for whatever that is, that new thing, that new day for ENC, God. We pray that you would give us faith to walk into it. God, we know that your word says in Psalm 40, I cried out to the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry, and he reached down into the pit, and he lifted me out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. God, that has been our story. We want to declare that to you today. We want to rest our hands on these three men, Timothy and Jeff and Larry, God. We want to pray for your word, your wisdom, your blessing, your discernment to fall on them, God. Would you do that? Would your spirit fall on them? Would they guide us with wisdom? Would they guide us in your spirit? God, would you just allow them to declare this song as what it is that leads us into the future. God, all we want is for you to be glorified in this place. God, your scripture for us this week, it is no coincidence. From Psalm 31, you say to us that in the midst of whispers of people who would tell us things that are not true, lies, God, about our destruction, your word says this, God, that I will trust in you, O oh Lord, that you are my God and my times are in your hand. God, that is a scripture for us today. That has been the song of ENC over decades and decades. And God, forgive us when we have departed from that word from you. God, we believe now. We trust in you, O oh Lord. You are our God. And we believe that our times are in your hand. God, may it be so. Thank you for being with us in this service. Our friends Dan and Denise have already left and are on their way to the airport. Thank you for the blessing that they have been to us. Thank you for the prophetic word that they have spoken over us today. God, all we want to say is may it be so. We ask this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.